what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. Oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. HD Smartcast. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today I have with me Siddharth Dhanwan Shangvi, who's written Loss. It's a memoir of grief. So um, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Manjula. How did you come to write this book? I wrote a first essay in 2018 when I lost my dad hmm. and I had sent it to uh, uh, Amitabh Bachchan to read. He sometimes reads very graciously some of the early drafts of my work. Okay. And he messaged me and said, you know, Siddharth, I'd like to publish this on my blog. And um, you know, it was quite personal. I wasn't sure. I was, uh, I was overseas and a day or two later, again, I heard from him. So I knew it had obviously touched him enough to make, you know, that uh, connect. And obviously somebody of his station in life doesn't need to reach out to anybody. So I was very touched and humbled um, for that Mm. intervention. Mm. He published it on his blog. And uh, I got all these incredible messages in Hindi, in Telugu, all on Facebook from people who had lost somebody and who Mm. had read it on Amitankul's blog and reached out to me. Mm. And I felt this sense of community, just as there is a community of people who go to restaurants and post selfies of, you know, their drinks and their expensive meals. There is also a community of people um, at the other side of that, you know, people who are living with loss, people who are living with the imminence of death, you know, if somebody's sick or someone has just died or someone has died of suicide and the abruptness of unprocessed lives, um, so I felt a great kinship, you know, with every one of those people who wrote and reached out to me, thanks to uh, Amit Uncle publishing, uh, you know, the first essay. And subsequent to that, uh, Udayan Mitra, the wonderful publisher at uh, HarperCollins, had come to mm-hmm. see me about publishing a book of collected nonfiction. And when we were processing it together, it seemed a bit lazy and a bit convenient, you know, something that mm-hmm. one could do because one can. And then I was uh, at a residency in uh, uh, in, in, in Italy mm. where it occurred to me that, no, I can't do this. It's just too lazy. It's just too convenient. And so I, I said to, I called up Udayan and I said, I'm sorry, I know we're going to be publishing this book, but we have to stop and I need to work um, much more. And the mm. only essay from that collection which I wanted to really look in the eye was the one on losing my dad. Um, Amit Uncle had published originally. And we elaborated on that. And then came the essay on uh, on losing my dog, Bruschetta, and, um, and then on my mom, which was the last one that I wrote. Hmm. Also, did you have to think a lot before you wrote these pieces? No, but I do remember thinking a lot during. 
Mm. You know, because there were pieces that I wrote and then I came back to and I wrote and I came back to. And I love the luxury of time. I love the luxury of, you know, letting the language kind of ferment, you know, come into uh, its own being over time. Mm. There's a kind of exfoliation that happens when you allow a piece to just sit still. Um, and I think that, that this book bears witness to that idea of how time can peel uh, a book and an idea and an essay to its very bones, to its very essence. Mm. So I wasn't thinking, uh, you know, much beforehand, but throughout and throughout these two and a half years uh, that I lived with this book, for sure, I was going back and needling at it, you know, um, mm. just sort of stripping down layers, uh, refining ideas uh, and trying to bring things that had brought me some consolation or what it served as insight so that this could this book could serve with the intention of being a community book you know mm. it wasn't just manjula reading about siddharth's losses and deaths but mm. manjula reading them to kind of prepare herself you know or to reflect on what it is that she has lost and how different that pain has felt for her from the author so both as counterpoint and echo chamber i wanted this book to serve uh as a grief manual as something you know to hold your hand when you're all alone hmm and and you know talking about insights i mean the, the book is like fairly bristling with it. it it encourages it encouraged me at least as the reader to think about my own loss losses you know how however long ago it might have been hmm. and see them in a different perspective perhaps you know Well, what a gift you just gave me by saying that, and by entering the book for the intention that it was written with. I really bow before the reader in you for that kind of felicity. It would take somebody of a remarkable emotional sophistication to say uh, something as simple and beautiful as that, and and I really take it as a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's deal with Bruschetta first, you know, sure. because because everybody while I was reading it, I was thinking that. Uh, you know most people who don't live with animals kind of think it's very self indulgent for you to grieve about a loss mm-hmm. you know and 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 i like that and and then you feel you, you yourself feel ashamed you know oh why am i why am i treating it with so much seriousness when it is very serious and you mentioned that mm-hmm. you know let's talk about that and how people need to kind of go beyond that because like you've mentioned in the book um uh, grieving for a pet i mean uh, the loss of a pet is as as um you know devastating yeah so is that okay as a loss of a you know a close family member well brusketta for um for your uh listeners is was my dachshund and uh, she was a miniature dachshund she was really small she looked like a little mongoose um but she was just the most adorable person she had a great sense of humor she did the zany thing with her paws uh, she knew how to sulk she never sat down for a lecture when i was in a lecture kind of mode most afternoons um so you know she was a really fully formed person who knew her boundaries who expected you to respect them and i love that about her you know that she called on respect as the central uh uh normative experience uh, of her life you know followed by love mm-hmm. so um 
So she's such a great person, you know, and when, when she passed away, I'd lost all of that, all her sense of humor, the way she received me. No one on this planet will welcome me with that great, you know, emphasis on my existence as the singular animating aspect of that person's being. You know, no one will feel that. Um, you know, Manjula, I live in Goa and, and, and she used to live with my dad in Bombay. And I would go back to see her and, and, and see my dad. And, and a few times, I remember she would be so excited. She was just pee. <laughs> so this is what I think dogs do is that they, uh, you know, train you up for a kind of enthusiasm for life, which very few human beings can give to you. So when mm. she left, that was also something that left, you know, my life was permanently dim because of, uh, because of this, uh, uh, because of this loss. <clears throat> and and this, this paragraph is really lovely. In Homer's Odyssey, transformed by his travels, their adventure, fatigue, surprise, and spiritual nourishment, Odysseus is disguised and unrecognizable. Only Argos, his dog, knows who he is. He sees him as he always was. Milan Kundera believed dogs were our link to paradise. They don't know evil or jealousy or discontent. To sit with a dog on a hillside on a glorious afternoon is to be back in Eden, where doing nothing was not boring. It was peace. I love that. Mr. Kundera, my God, how could you not? Uh, but yeah, but also I think that, you know, our link to paradise, perhaps what he meant by that, if you can deconstruct it just a little bit, is paradise here. Because most of our lives feel like hell, you know, going to work, meeting the people you don't want to meet. All of that is a kind of a suffocation and a hell. So when you're finally in the company of people or persons or, you know, life forms who allow you to be exactly as you are and just and celebrate you with great delight. What a privilege that is in counterpoint. And maybe if we can also open up that just a little bit in definition of the word, you know, the, the root word of paradise means um, it comes from the, from exclusion. You know, it means an, a world which from which you exclude. Um, and that's what it is to live with a dog. You can exclude the rest of the world. You know, it's so beautiful. You can live to the exclusion of others. Uh, and I feel, wow, if I can spend all that much time being with my books, uh, simply because I have the company of Cora and Leela, my two adopted uh, friends over here in Goa, uh, I'm so much more luckier. Yeah. For all the ways they humanize us, dogs commit a service that borders on alchemy. It's a lovely line. And it's true. Yeah, because it's also, I know a whole bunch of really horrible people, but because of the way that they love their dogs, they're so much more nicer to me. I would never speak to them otherwise. That's true. Actually, I've met horrible, horrible people. But the moment you see how they behave with their dogs, you think, oh, maybe this person isn't that bad. <laughs> but also it's testament to, to the dog, you know, who has a way of humanizing them, who has a gift of seeing them through their prickle and thorn and, you know, their bad temperament and, and recognizing the essential core, which is really questionable. But that's, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Okay. You know, and we, these photographs are lovely of, of your dad, you know, Bruschetta and, you know, these really lovely pictures. They're very stark. And well, 
Thank you. There were photographs I made from 2008 to 2011 mm. when I had moved into a small apartment next to my father's house so that I could live uh, close to him, uh, but that we would have our own space. So that series of photographs was called The House Next Door. And what was wonderful about making those pictures was how the camera sat between my dad and me as a mediator. And as you might know, fathers and sons have very complex, complicated equations uh, and relationships. Um, but when you can introduce a little thing, so there were two. Obviously, there was Bruschetta, you know, who, who brought out our, our most humane side because, uh, you know, for me and for him to see my dad so in love with this little, you know, vulnerable puppy made him so much more vulnerable and lovable to me and to, to my sisters. You know, he was a very... There's a very tall, imposing, strong, quite often angry man. So mm. to see him um, left so exquisitely vulnerable because of, uh, you know, a dog who came up to his ankles. Uh, <laughs> w- w- just made you see him, you know, and made us, uh, you know, wonder of what we had been missing all along over there. So that was uh, beautiful to discover. But then the camera, as I said earlier, became a mediator. It just mm. sat between my dad and me and and was peacekeeper and this ace conversationist and found a way to for us to kind of chat without words. Mm. And so those photographs were then shown. Um, they were shown at Gallery Contrast first in Stockholm okay. uh, and then uh, in Vadhera in Delhi, uh, in Bombay, and then at the India and, you know, a few places. So they had traveled. So they'd been with me for 12 years now. And uh, and they just seem like a really, you know, an essay unto themselves. So we included them into the book. Yeah, it works very well with the book, you know. Thank you. Mm. You know, the section about your mother mm-hmm. is, um, she just comes across as such a, f- like a force, you know. Mm. So, uh and, and, and the second about the ICU, I found that very moving. Mm. And about how the ICU transforms you, even you know, as 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 an attendant and somebody who's spending time there because you're with somebody who's in the ICU. It's so true. Just talk about that. You mean that passage which begins, "The ICU is not the Met Ball; it is a demolition ball." Yes, you get yes. that quickly. Your heart yes. soon makes room for everyone, even the wild people who think climate change is just a bad monsoon. For the women who fly on private jets to the Maldives and post selfies from boats, for the jerks who dump dogs outside a pound in North Goa, they emerge from the same faulty mass of no warranty, no exchange, human clay. I no longer think of anyone as a terrible human being, although I might judge them if they don't know it's bad manners to not keep your phone on silent at 2 a.m. in a room full of people who huddle together while someone nearby is wheezing as she goes out of business. Mm. Yeah, that was my life, Manjula, for so many years. Mm. My mother was sick for 25 years. And even as a child, um, you know, like I remember going from my 10th standard board exams to Hinduja hospital because my mom had had her hips replaced and all the kids and my dad used to do hospital duty. And so it was just my time to go, you know, um, and that's what I did, you know. 
Um, it was a very difficult period for all of us, especially and mostly my mother. Mm-hmm. But uh, what it showed me was her extraordinary ability to write through her life because of imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, we became writers. I became a writer because of her, because she would be in bed, unable to walk, unable to move left or right. Mm-hmm. And every day we would go and see her in the evenings, in the mornings, before school, after school. And she would expect a full rundown of the day. And, so, mm-hmm. you know, you had to make it really interesting. You're speaking to somebody who hasn't been able to move for years. So you've got to give it shape and definition and a little bit of masala so that, you know, She's awake, you know, you're giving her some, some material over there. So I love that. I love to be able to do that uh, for her and with her. But mostly in the writing of that essay, I came to see, you know, what a profound relationship that she had with pain and what an extraordinary karma to be manifest in a life form where your job is to serve pain, that pain is the one thing that is going to change you and defeat you and, you know, refine you and give you your most essential character to carry on into your next manifestation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was just that, you know, she had a great love for Bengali literature. She loved Sharad Chandra. She loved Faiz Ahmad. Faiz, she wrote a collection of poems. So I don't want to whittle her down into just being somebody who battled pain, but somebody who had a great gusto for life. You know, she grew up around my grandfather, who was the the, the head of department, um, uh, the head of the philosophy department at Banaras Hindu University, where, in fact, my mother was born in a compounder's cottage in, in BHU. So, you know, she grew up with so much scholarship, with so many fine minds all around her. And then to have that condensed, you know, to have that taken away in a sense, uh, because of your battles with physical pain, you know, she, she, uh, she couldn't walk. Uh, she lost incremental use of her legs. Um, uh, I mean, I, I remember her hobbling around with a cane and then she had a, a wheelchair and then finally she was just entirely bed bound. And, and recently Manjula, a cousin of mine said, Oh, you know, you shouldn't really remember your mother like this. You know, she was so strong. And I was like, but I am actually remembering her uh, for her strength. I am actually uh, celebrating that. You know, even when I'm talking about her disability, I don't mm. see that as an, uh, a, a thing, a weakness. I think mm. I see that as her essential challenge in life and how beautifully she met it. Mm. Yeah. That's Siddharth Dhanwan Shangvi talking about his new book, Loss, which is a memoir of grief. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. My name's Barry. I live right above you. I don't host parties. I host after parties. They're like parties, only louder and nobody goes home. You can see right here I ripped out all the carpeting because it was holding me back with my pogo stick. Man's got a pogo. Oh, I'm a prankster. I'll grease up a soda can and then when somebody grabs it, boom! (laughs) Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.